we're going to get started here. Um, I have once again for this week. I'm a little bit. I'm just a little bit of a jumble, um, and uh, you'll notice on the sheet I didn't change the date. I got the spot for the opening prayer. I forgot to you know put one in, um, but uh, but I do have the opening prayer, and uh, we'll uh, we'll continue in Romans eight in just a moment here. And by continuing Romans eight, I mean that we're going to jump to Ephesians six. Um, so, uh, I've prayed out of, um, I've used prayers out of, uh, Dober, Doberstein's, um, a minister's prayer book a couple times. Um, this is a, a prayer book. It's called a Lutheran prayer book. It's written more for, um, you know, just kind of anybody. And, uh, you know, so that the prayers are more generally focused, um, whereas the other one is kind of more focused on the life of a pastor. Um, but this is one uh, for the Christian life, and it's, it starts with Philippians 4, and then it goes into a prayer. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, Help us, O Lord, to think on these things. Uphold us, O Lord of life, with thy free spirit. Save us from unreality, from praising what is lofty while practicing what is base, from thinking high thoughts while living a poor life. Keep us from ignoble fear and send us on our way with hope through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And uh, let's see if I can figure out quickly who that was by. Uh, source unknown. So that happens sometimes. All right, so uh, we're working our way through Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to take us a little bit on a discursus here um, because uh, Romans 8, 12, and 13 say, So then, brothers, uh, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we talked about this idea that uh, in what Christ has done for us, we are not uh, in debt to the flesh, that, you know, we're, like we're obligated to live for, to the flesh. And it's kind of unspoken, this idea that, no, your obligation is not to the flesh, it's, it's to live in the Spirit uh, and to live in the forgiveness and salvation that, that Christ has provided for us. Um, and I was just getting into this part of verse 13 that says uh, that if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And there's very much this, this sense in here um, uh, of strong language um, and, uh, and almost like a violent type of a picture um, that is part of our, part of our wrestling. And I, I talked about that wrestling thing uh, last week with uh, the story of Jacob when his name was changed to Israel. That word Israel literally means one who wrestles with God uh, and that that is a picture of our Christian life. So it, it's not that we're to subdue the flesh. It's not that we're to resist the flesh. That There are other parts that talk like that. But here it is, put it to death. And I talked about Luther's paradigm for making a theologian. Um, this prayer, meditation, and, and struggle idea 
that you know, we, we, we pray from what God is doing in, in our lives through his word. We think about his word. We spend time studying his word. Then we try to live it. And when we live it, we're going to have trouble. Okay? Um, the monastic tradition that Luther grew up in, uh, that he was trained in, basically had this idea that your spiritual life, your goal is to transcend the earth and to find kind of this unity with God where, you know, it's just this, this, this spiritual uh, rapture where you, you transcend the physical. You know, and it had almost, some of the Gnostic, or I already said the word, uh, some of the monastic movements had kind of this Gnostic flavor to it. You know, that the idea is to get rid of the body and to be spiritual. And Luther, as he rejects that, comes up with this spirituality that, that's, it's receptive of what God is doing, and so it is, it is very much spiritual, but it's also very earthy. It's, it's about struggle. It's about you know, this, this wrestling uh, with this, this, the flesh and, and, and trying to kill the flesh in order to live for Christ and all of those things. And so when we start thinking about what does that look like, a really good place for us to turn is Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. This very famous passage about putting on the full armor of God. Um, and so I want to walk through this as we think about how is it that we, we struggle? How is it that we put to death uh, the deeds of the body? Because this is a very militaristic uh, image that comes to us from, uh, from Ephesians chapter 6. And I think it's helpful as we think about what Paul is telling us in Romans uh, in terms of what do we do to, to put to death the deeds of the body. So he starts out, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So notice from the very beginning that this resistance, this fighting, is not done in our strength. You know, he says to be strong in the Lord, strong in his might. Uh, a lot of times when people read Ephesians chapter 6, um, I, I, sometimes I see these memes where you know, you've got this knight and he looks powerful and victorious and, and, and all of that. Um, I'm not sure that that really accurately depicts what Paul is saying here. Because those warriors that are depicted in there, they look pretty darn mighty in and of themselves. Here he's saying that your strength is actually in God. And so I think of, uh, I think of David and Goliath. You know, so David goes to battle Goliath. He's a teenager. And I have no doubt that David's a pretty fit kind of guy. You know, he, he's out there taking care of the animals. He's, yeah. he's working. I was actually thinking about this the other day, talking with Chris, you know, with shoveling snow. And I'm like, oh, I hurt, you know. <laughs> you know, not that long ago, you, just, you did that all darn day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I, you know, people were, they were physically tougher in some, in, well, most ways because they had to be, Right. And, and David was probably a pretty tough dude. You know, he talks about chasing off the lion and the bear. You know, you know he, he's no joke, but he's going out to face Goliath, 
who is probably somewhere around eight feet tall and in full armor and you know pretty powerful and impressive looking individual and David looks pretty puny but David knows that he has the Lord on his side and so he goes not with the sense of oh I know what to do I, I've got this you know I'm, I'm tough I'm you know military you know genius and strong and all of these things he, he goes trusting that the Lord is going to put the victory into his hand and I think that that's part of the picture that that is in this that when we start to struggle when we start to have this this wrestling to put to death the flesh that we don't have that strength in and of ourselves we need god's power we need his strength in order to make that happen um early on i talked about uh luther's heidelberg uh disputation and this difference between a theologian or yeah theologian of glory and a theologian of the cross the theology of glory kind of puts us toward trusting in ourselves that we're going to contribute something to this. The theologian of the cross says, no, no, all of the victory that we have here is rooted in who God is and what he is doing in us and for us. And so he continues, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, the Ephesians would have been very familiar with this image of armor because Ephesus was one of uh, the, uh, it was a city that was founded to be uh, a place where, well, it wasn't founded to be, but it became a place to be where the, uh, the Romans would retire to. So once you got done serving in the legions, which you never were really done, you were always there to be called back up, um, they went to places like Ephesus, where they became an important part of the society, and and uh, and they lived there. But these were the people that Paul are writing to are largely military backgrounds. You know, so the, this this idea of putting on armor it, it, it's something that's going to be very familiar to them. The images that that he is is going through are, are going to be very familiar with him. And what he says here is to put on not your armor, but God's armor. And he wants us to put it and to use it in all circumstances, like the shield of faith, then um, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the God. Right. So th this, is, this is a regular part of our lives, just the same way that in Romans he says, put to death the deeds of the body. These are things that we're going to do in order to stand against what the devil is do the devil, the world, and our sinful nature are doing in our lives. That God's power is going to work in this, and He is going to give us His armor, His military, you know, uh, equipment in, in order to do this work. Um, so I I like to uh, I like to watch some of the Marvel uh, stuff, and um, over uh, over winter break. Uh, our daughter Libby is really into uh, uh, the Marvel stuff, and she introduced Chris to Matt Murdock, also known as the Daredevil. And uh, uh, Netflix did a series on uh, this comic book character, mm -hmm. and uh, it's pretty dark. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I do not, uh, you know, most of the time we think of comic books and we think of kids. Not for kids. Um, 
And uh, um, there is a scene toward the end of season three where there, there's this bad guy. Uh, if you're familiar with Marvel, he's Kingpin. Um, uh, and uh, he, uh, his name is Wilson Fisk. And he's like this crime lord. And all the way back in season one, we find out that Kingpin always wears this really unique body armor. It looks just like regular clothes, but it's bulletproof. It'll turn a knife and, and everything. And it's, it's, it's pretty impressive stuff. And in season three, there is this very dangerous moment where Kingpin, the bad guy, has just gotten married. And his bride is there. And if there's one thing that, uh, that uh, Kingpin is all about, is it's his wife. It's really his only soft, redeemable part of his life. He's, he's a total whack job. But this one area of his life is the only part that has any kind of beauty, really, to it. And uh, he literally takes off his armor and covers her so that she will be safe. And in the process, he is wounded very badly and ends up losing the, the fight you know, because you know, he's, he's so badly wounded. Um, he puts himself at risk for Vanessa, his bride. And even though Fisk is uh, no one to be emulated, uh, I do think that there's a picture there of what we're talking about here that Christ gives us God's armor that we would be protect, protected and he puts himself at risk. So he goes to the cross, he dies. He's the one who is flogged for us that we might be saved. You know, and he does all of this in order to protect us. So when it says to put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, there's very much this idea that this is something that God is doing for us in his love. And we're receiving this gift that he has given because even though Jesus is going to take the real danger upon himself, there is still danger that comes to us as we live in this life. Temptations would come that would you know, urge us to take that armor off of ourselves. The temptations would come that would cause us to, to turn our back on, on God's gifts. And, uh, and, and so um, you know, we're, we're encouraged here to receive the gift that God gives that protects us. Because there are schemes out there that the devil is at work in. Uh, the, the Greek word there is uh, methods. That the, the devil has methods of working on us. And, um, and, and none of these things are all that particularly uh, mysterious to us, really. Um, what are the schemes of the devil? In your life, what have you... When you look in your life, yep, there he is, he's working. What do you see in the, the world? Chocolate. Okay. <laughs> so... Let's back that up. Is, is chocolate a good gift from God? Yes. Yes, it is. But a whole bag is not. Right. And so what the devil encourages us to do is he twists these good gifts to use them in ways that are not good for us. What else? And just about anything you'd see on advertising is using one of those methods. 
So creating covetousness, right? That we would desire these things that we don't need. You deserve them. Yeah, yeah. Or they'll make you happy. They'll make you happy. And you deserve to be happy. Yeah. um, So this is the thing that will make you happy, and then once you have it, you're like, oh, but I need one more thing. What else? Okay, pride. Okay. And pride, it, there's one sense that when we talk about pride that we feel good about things that we've accomplished. And, you know, and that can actually be you know, very closely related to gratitude, and that, that's, a, that's a good thing. But the, the pride that says, I got this. You know, I'm able. You know, I don't need anybody else. The flip side of that, the unworthiness, the I'm never good enough. Nobody will ever, and God wouldn't, and why bother? And... Yeah. So the, the name Satan actually means the accuser. And so one of his strategies is actually to constantly tell you all the places that you fall short and why you don't deserve God's forgiveness and that you're probably not. What else? Uh, I think the most effective way that... Uh, the devil works is fill our fill our heart with guilt mm-hmm. instead of the good spirit, and the and all kind of bad stuff is a production of that guilt, yep. unworthiness. Uh, why should I put effort to do good stuff? Uh, why my efforts count? Why my thoughts count? But matter of fact, in real life and in reality, all our efforts come, and all our efforts have like a good good outcome from from it mm-hmm. because when we do good efforts and we keep practicing on it it will bring good glory for example um cleaning your house well the devil puts the guilt in our heart that why should i clean my house why should i appoint any other person to clean in my house why well, i'm gonna do the hard work but no you know better than anybody else that what's going on in your house. And if you clean your house, you know each and every corner of your house. And mm-hmm. it's obviously always nice to have a clean and nice house that will give you a better environment to think positive. Why should I, why should I clean my clothes and wash them and dry them? Well, it's your clothes, your personal stuff. You know your stuff better than anybody and you are in charge of taking care of your stuff, not the table or not other person. So this kind of stuff, like keep your house clean, um, do stuff in your backyard. Keep keep the front yard clean. Um, then like um, do your lawn work. Do the landscaping job. When it's snowing, shovel the snow. Yeah, that is hard work. But if you do it right, then it will give you a lot of glory and positive. So what you're, what you're talking about is being a good steward of the gifts that God gives us. And Absolutely. what sometimes happens is, you know, when for a whole host of reason we're we're not necessarily as good as stewards as we would like to be Mm -hmm. you know the devil will speak to that in terms of our worthiness in a whole host of different ways to to basically say you're not good enough yeah you know and so So. that is uh you know it's an example of how he twists us the other side of it is though that when we are really good at those things that sometimes that gives us a sense of pride 
that says, you know, I am good enough and that God is going to be pleased with me on the basis of the things that, that I do. Yeah. You know, so... And, um, like, um, another way the devil distract, distract our mind is they want to try to play with the fruits of the Spirit. What yeah. are the fruits of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit is joy, happiness, I mean, all this kind of stuff. And Love, joy, human, peace, yeah. And as a human being, we always crave for all those fruits of the Spirit. And we always try to look for different resources to get all those fruit of, fruits of the Spirit. The Satan and the devil know about that. And they will, and they try to distract us that, no, no, this is not the right source to get the fruits of the Spirit. Get the fruits of, of the Spirit in their way. But yeah. no, if you do the right stuff, I mean, it's pretty simple stuff. Like you clean your house, you do the plowing. Yeah, but th those stuff. are not the things that are going to get you the fruits of the spirit. Yeah, and then and then you do you read the Bible, you do the Bible study, all this kind of good stuff. You can get all this, all the I mean, all yeah. the resources have been set. Yep, God works through those things and through church and the reception of the the sacraments mm -hmm. in, in order to give us the things that we need um, in in the fruits of the spirit for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that the Bible says is that the devil is a liar. You know, one of his, his schemes is to flat out twist the truth. You know, and, you know, remember back to the Garden of Eden, did God really say? That continues to happen all the way to today. Um, I think about the parable of the sower. You remember the parable of the sower? Mm -hmm. Jesus goes through, or the, the sower goes through and he's, he's casting seed. Some of it lands on the road, some of it lands in the thorns, some of it lands um, on uh, rocky soil. And in each of those circumstances, you know, on, on, the, uh, on the road, the crows come and eat it. It's an image that one of the things that the devil does is he tries to take Jesus away from us. You know, it, it, it doesn't, the uh, rocky ground does not allow for deep roots. You know, and so when we come to, uh, how, how much of life encourages us to be shallow? You know, oh, okay. Um, the, the stuff that falls among the, 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 uh, the thorns. Jesus says that that's people who are then afflicted by the troubles and trials of life. You know, the devil will use the troubles and trials of life to choke us out. You know, so we, we can see these things. We can, we can see his, his, uh, his methods. Um, and, uh, and again, he masquerades as an angel of light, um, which means that sometimes the, the way that the devil speaks to us is in a way that sounds wise, and sounds kind, and sounds good, but doesn't actually match with the scriptures. And just, just a one degree off type of a thing. Because... If you can get somebody one degree off, one degree isn't much, right? Not when you're that far away. But one degree off and down to the road, that's, and then, you know, so you, you, the devil plays the long game. You know, he, he just kind of. Um, if you ever want to really kind of think about this, a great book to, uh, to look at is uh, C.S. Lewis's um, Screwtape Letters. Yeah, and if you if you choose to pick it up and to read it, just understand that it is it's it's like a, a um, mirror image of reality. It's like Bizarro World when you read it. It's it's written from the devil's point of view. So when he talks about the enemy, he's talking about God. 
And when he's talking about good, it's actually evil. So, you know, if you were to pick it up, that that would be part of what you would need to be aware of. Again, one thing, one thing that I, I have discovered just recently is um, the the Satan trying to tell me that saying the Lord's prayer every day is no big deal because okay. you repetitiously say it, you've got it memorized, da, da, and 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 you do, we do, we, yep, we do. But then um, I guess it. I, I realize though, if those those nuggets of when the Lord's Prayer really means something, you know, really is an impact to me, if I don't say it every day, I won't say it that day. Yeah. So, you know, that so that's, yeah, that, that's like the sower, you know. Yep. You know, yeah, I say it every day because there's going to be some days when it's really going to be really in, in my heart and really meaningful to me. Regardless of it being repetitious and you know memorized, yeah. you know and stuff. So if I don't say it every day, I miss those days. So yep. I'm gonna say it every day. Yep. So I won't miss those days because you don't know when those days. You know, you know, you don't know when it's gonna sometimes have a real impactful thing to your life. And sure. To what's going on. So anyway, I just was thinking. Yeah, it it, it makes me think of. Um... I've talked with people about the practice of the church in terms of how often to have the Lord's Supper in the worship service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's a variety of opinions out there. Um, in uh, my last church, we had it twice a month. The church I grew up with, you could get it every week, but you would have to stagger which service you attended. Here we do it at every Sunday worship service and, you know, in our kind of festival days. Um, and uh, and I, I see more and more churches doing that, that every Sunday is a communion Sunday. Um, but one of the, the things that I've heard over the years is somebody uh, arguing against having communion every week, saying, well, you'll get so used to it that you won't think it's special anymore. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I kind of, you know, think about that, it, it's like, you know, what you're talking about with the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. you know, there's this principle that we sometimes live by where we say, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Right. Mm-hmm. So we don't have the Lord's Supper as often because then we want it to be more special to us. But as my wife once told me, out of sight is out of mind. Right. And I think that there's an element of truth to that when we speak of God's word, that we want this to always be before our eyes. You know, and, and can it be wrote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can it be going through the motions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of life is sometimes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ed. Well, there's, I think there's a, a further goal beyond just saying, okay, we do this every Sunday. Right. That, that that's a stop on the way to, believe, to, to a sense that God is with us always. Mm-hmm. And it's, it just puts it in a different perspective. You, the thing is to get closer and closer to that goal. And you don't do it by saving it up for Christmas and Easter and say, and now these are really special. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and if we believe what Jesus says about what's going on there, mm-hmm. that he's delivering himself to us, that he's giving us forgiveness and life and salvation, you know, I only need that on Tuesdays of every fourth month. Yeah. No, that's something that is a regular part that, that we're actually receiving the 
the work that he does that gives us the life of faith. It, it, so there's, there's actually kind of this dependence on what's happening there, that I come forward and Jesus gives me what I need to live the life he's called me to live. That the forgiveness is there, and as Luther says, where there's forgiveness, there's life and salvation. And I go out in that. Um, in verse 12, uh, there's an important idea here. He says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, the wrestling that we do in this life, it, it's, it's a spiritual wrestling that we're talking about here that uh, I love this phrase, the, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. That there are spiritual forces at work in this world. And our enemy that we are wrestling against is not people. When we you know, really think about our, our energy and where we're, we're wrestling with people, or wrestling with the things of this world, it's not about people. It's, it's about this work that the devil, the world, and, and even our own sinful nature does on us. And I think that when we keep that in, in mind, in this wrestling, that we can have, impression, have compassion for the enthralled, for people who are enslaved to their sin. Just like you know, we wrestle with these things, then we can have compassion with them, you know, recognizing that it's not about them, it's about these spiritual forces that are at work. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Notice those words, withstand, stand. Um, even when Jesus uh, changes Peter's name, he says the... Uh, um, uh, do I have this right? Uh, drop it. Uh, I, I think I have the wrong metaphor in my mind. Um, but uh, the picture that's being given here is not Iwo Jima. You know what happened at Iwo Jima, right? The Marines came. They stormed the island. They took the island. That's not the picture that's presented here. This, it, this is, to use a Lord of the Rings image, it's Minas Tirith. It's a city that's under siege and is standing against the powers of darkness that are trying to take the city. That's the picture that's presented here. Yeah. Uh, it sort of goes back a little bit. just popped into my head, and this is short, just, but I know this is the worst one of the five mystical songs by Vaughn Williams. Yeah. But uh, referring to Easter, and it goes, Can there be any day but this? Though many suns to shine, endeavor. We count 300, but we miss. There is but one, and that day ever. And that, that just puts a lot of it into perspective for me. So basically saying that Easter is the day of days? Is it, the is, day of every day. Yeah. That having happened, yeah. things have fundamentally changed, and now we live in that day forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the image that's here, yeah. that this battle is going on around yeah. us, and it's Easter that you know, we're putting on this armor that protects us right. against what Jesus himself endured in order to get to Easter. Yeah. 
Um, verse 14, he says, stand firm, or stand therefore. Notice that this is, this, this is not a, uh, you know, I'm going to charge the gates of hell type of thing. It's, I'm standing in my faith. I'm not saying there's not a place for that conversation about we're going to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. Um, you know, but you know, that's not the picture that's here. It's stand in this power that God has given to you. Having fastened the belt of truth, um, uh, the, uh, the, the imagery here in, in the Greek is a little bit different in, in terms of, um, it, it doesn't say having fastened the belt of truth, but it's having girded your loins in truth. You know, and uh, um, when we start talking about truth, Jesus says his word is truth. It, that we face this world and we see reality through what Jesus tells us, what God tells us in his word. And he talks about a breastplate of righteousness. We've been talking a lot about righteousness throughout this whole course, right? Where does our righteousness come from? From the Lord. Right. And so when it says put on the breastplate of righteousness, it's not saying, you know, make sure that you've got your, all your stuff together. It's this life of faith, trusting in what God has done for you. Uh, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. Um, that word peace is a big word in a, um, coming out of a, a Jewish mouth or off of a Jewish pen, as the case might, would be for Paul. Because when we think of that word peace in Hebrew, we, we say the word shalom. You know, we tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict. But when the Hebrew people talked about peace, it's a whole wellness, including a reconciliation with God. Um, you know, so uh, peace is something that's really undervalued in our, our society because it doesn't look powerful. Um, he, he goes on, uh, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You know, we have this shield. It, it protects us from temptation. It protects us. That's, we usually think about it in terms of temptation. But don't forget that, that work of the devil as a, a, an accuser that he's constantly accusing us. And the shield of faith says, no, my sins are taken away so that you don't have to live in, in guilt. Uh, and take on the helmet of salvation. Um, it, you know, this helmet of salvation, we protect our minds. It protects our minds. I think that this is a reference to meditation. You know, that God's word is filling us up, that it's you know, shaping the way that we think. And then finally, we get to that part that everybody loves and the sword of the Spirit. And um, when I think of the sword of the Spirit and I think of those images, I often, you know, I've got all these Lord of the Ring images in my mind, these big, long, bright swords and, you know, kind of these medieval type of things. But um, if you've ever seen the movie The Hobbit, uh, um, there's this fun scene where um, one of the characters is looking at these swords and he's talking about the heritage of the swords and the story of the swords and ooh, ooh, and Bilbo has gotten himself one too. And he starts to pull it out and one of the dwarves says to him, that's more of a letter opener, laddie. 
And when it talks about the sword of the spirit here, the idea is not one of these big, long, bright swords. It's, it's actually a, more like a dagger or a short sword. And the word that we sometimes use for this type of a sword is an enchiridion. An enchiridion, uh, which is Greek for in the hand. Now, in modern use, an enchiridion is a manual. It's something to teach you, to guide you. Or another word for an enchiridion is a catechism. It's something that communicates the essentials of the faith and the word of God. But I think that that image of a dagger is an important image when we think about, okay, we want to put to death the deeds of the flesh. How do you do that? You do that by being connected to the word. It's by going through those basics of the scriptures, basics of, of what is the Christian faith? What has God done for us? What, what, what is his law that accuses us? What has he done in order to save us? How does he teach us to talk to him? Where has he delivered these things to us? Baptism, confession, and absolution. We used to call that the office of the keys. The Lord's Supper. And having these things constantly in our minds becomes like having a, a little dagger in order to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And, and that's what the sword of the Spirit does. It's this word of God, and the catechism becomes a place where that is something that is extremely accessible. You know, um, when you look at Luther's catechism, the small catechism, and you compare it to other denominations' catechisms, our catechism is tiny. You know, I've got a copy of the, uh, the Catholic catechism in, in my office. It is literally that thick. You're not memorizing that thing. You know, most of our catechisms, they look like they're this thick. But that's because we've added a bunch of stuff to the back, a bunch of questions and answers. The catechism itself is like, you know, 20 pages or so. You know, it's, it's, it's a very accessible manual. And then by having those parts of God's word that are kind of the, the, the central parts of God's word, law, gospel, prayer, where do I get forgiveness, all of those kinds of things, that's the tools that are at work in our lives to put to death um, the deeds of the body. And then, of course, he, he, he wraps this up, praying at all times in the Spirit, with prayer and supplication. So that even our prayers are done in the power of God. Because we pray in the Spirit. So when he's talking about putting to death uh, the deeds of the body, uh, you know, it, it, it's really uh, about living in what he has done for us. So tie this to baptism. You know, we talked about this in, in Romans chapter 6. We're baptized into Christ. Everyone who's baptized into Christ is baptized into his death. And, and so we're tying our life to what Jesus did for us in baptism. You know, and I, I love the way that Luther talks about baptism in, in the, uh, the fourth question regarding baptism in the small catechism. He says, what does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. 
and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Put to death the deeds of the, the body. Return to your baptism. And isn't this what Luther teaches to do in like morning prayers? He says, you get up and you make the sign of the cross and you say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do you say that? Because it reminds you that you are baptized. It reminds you that God is at work in order to give you a new life by killing the old life. That a new person arise. So when he says, put to death the deeds of the body, you know, it's kill it. Why? Because if you don't kill it, it will kill you. And, and as, you know, it, it, we, we said, um, uh, it, as it says in verse 13, uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I think I talked about this, that that's not a simple future. It's an, it's an imminent thing. It's if you live according to the flesh, you are about to to die. And sometimes I, you know, as I, as I wrestle with this stuff myself, I, I wonder, you know, do we really grasp the deadliness of sin? You know, I mean, your sins are really deadly. Mine aren't so bad, but you know. I, I think that sometimes we look at that. You know, we're like, what those people do, that's really bad. Mine, not so much. But sin is deadly. It kills. A sin is a sin, whether it is small or big or whatever it is. It needs to be killed. And um, it needs to be killed with, like, all the sins and evil desires. So that we can live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Right. And the only way that that happens is... God's work in us delivering, um, the Spirit's work in us delivering, making us alive in Christ. Um, There's a beautiful account in John chapter 8 of a woman who's caught in adultery. And you know the story, I think. Um, At the end, it's it's the whole, you know, let you without sin, you know, cast the first stone, right? And... Jesus is there with the woman. You know, woman, where are your accusers? They're not here. Well, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Put to death the deeds of the body. It's not that, you know, my sins are forgiven, so it doesn't matter what I do. No, my sins are forgiven. So now, now I'm going to try to live this life that Christ has given to me. Am I going to fall short? Absolutely. I'm going to continue to wrestle. I'm going to continue to seek to do his will. And then, I'm going to just really trust in his grace to take care of the whole thing. So, some of you know um, a, a dear friend of ours, a member of the congregation named Jim Dagley. Jim likes to quote this phrase as a malapropism. Do you know what a malapropism is? Mm-hmm. It's when you say it wrong kind of on purpose, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you know, I love that passage. And it says, I don't accuse you, go and sin some more. But, you know, Jesus says, no. Go and sin no more. Put to death the deeds of the body. 
and then you'll live. You know, Luke 9, 23 through 27 uh, says, um, Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, uh, loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What's a cross for? It's pretty. I wear it around my neck. Right? To kill or to die. Yeah. And Jesus says, take up your cross and often we think about this as oh that's this he's not actually asking me to die he he's he's you know these are the inconvenient things that come into my life no put to death the deeds of the body take up your cross live in repentance you know yes you're living in forgiveness and trust and salvation but you're going to wrestle you're going to fight you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrestled with this idea, and, and he has this great line in, uh, um, I think it's in Ethics. Uh, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When he calls you and I to follow him, it's not, you know, oh, I'm going to give you your best life. No, die. Die to the flesh. He, he, he is calling us to join in this life in the struggle against the flesh, to live in the victory that he's already won. Um, there's a uh, Roman Catholic priest. Um, there was a Roman Catholic priest by the name of Brennan Manning. Um, and uh, um, Manning, he thought very deeply about grace. Um, he, uh, he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, which is a really neat book if you ever get a chance to read it, really examines uh, how radical God's grace and forgiveness are, but also embraces this idea that now that we're forgiven, yes, this grace and forgiveness is our hope, but we're going to engage to try to live the way that God calls us to live, as he teaches us to live, like in the Ten Commandments. And... Uh, he, he says this at one point. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Let me read that for you one more time. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. Now, theologically speaking, would we say that's law or gospel? That is, that's very much a law statement. But there's an element of truth in this. That sometimes people look at the witness of the church in terms of what we say 
and then see the difference in what we do. Now, they don't necessarily understand that our hope is in grace and forgiveness and mercy and all of those things. That this is really about being forgiven, not being perfect. But I think that there's a call here, too, that says we should take seriously living this life, putting to death the deeds of the body by really being connected to the one who puts to death the body in baptism, being in the places where he kills our sin and gives new life to us. So baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, the word of God. You know, and we are called uh, to, to live this life and in this new life that, that we've been given. You know, and, and we reflect this, that it is worth dying for this faith, even physically. Um, in the rite of confirmation, you know, there's this question that we ask. And I always feel a little bit weird asking it of eighth graders. You know, um, do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession in church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? You know, that's a real part of our life that we are going to suffer. But there is death that's involved with this. Now, hopefully it's not going to be, you know, a physical suffering and a physical death for, for you know, these kids that are standing there. Sometimes it is. Sometimes that might be better. Not Some, it, true, yeah. Sometimes there are things worse than physical suffering. Yeah. You know, I, I was actually thinking about, you know, um, there are times where things that look like God's blessings are actually curses. Things that we in the world count as blessing, like wealth. Yeah. There's, there's a wonderful, you know, little half-hour Twilight zones that used to be on, where this, this bad guy dies, and he, he's on a, I think he dies in an elevator crash. And he thinks, oh, thank goodness, I sure. No, that's a different one. But he dies, and he ends up down in, down in hell, but he doesn't know it. And this guy introduces himself as an angel and starts showing him around. And it's like there's a pool table, and no matter what he does, the ball always goes in the pocket. And there are these women who are all over him, even if he doesn't want them. And, and son, you know, sort of finally by the end of the half hour, he's like, oh, wait a minute. This is the other place. Ah, nice. Yeah. I have... Um, two heresies that are listed there at the end um, Novationism and Donatism um, both of these are uh, dealing with uh, people who fail to stand up and, and to stand up for the faith in times of persecution um, and uh, kind of raise the question uh, are these people saved if they didn't stand up for the faith if they weren't willing to die for the faith um, and uh you know, here in Romans, we're not talking about making the ultimate witness martyrdom. That word martyr actually means witness in Greek. But what we're actually talking about is putting our sin to death in the power of the Spirit. So, all right, we need to get ready for church. Um, and we'll press a little bit further into Romans 8 next week. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to put to death the deeds of the body and that we would live in your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.